The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. When I hear things, Holly, like you need to get Susie on because she's the most incredible, amazing, wonderful woman in the entire world. You only have to say the most incredible and you could have stopped there and we would have reached out to try to make this happen. But I'm glad that we finally made this happen. Me too. Susie, welcome. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Susie Larson, we like to ask this guilt testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you and where did you come from? This is the honest truth. I'm going to borrow the Apostle John's um, verbiage and say I'm someone God loves. And I, I really am the poster child for the passage of scripture that says he chooses the weak to shame the strong and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And I, I really, I was born in a, in a, big family. And I uh, had a, uh, we were part of a denomination where I knew God was real, but um, I didn't know Jesus was accessible. And mm-hmm. I had experienced two pretty significant childhood traumas at the hands of teenage boys when I was a little girl. So, you know, before those things happened, I had a sense of God being real, but it's just obviously a pretty innocent view of the world. And uh, when I was nine years old, I was pinned down by some boys in our neighborhood and uh, experienced the sexual assault. And I got up from that experienced very confused about if any of that was my fault, what had just happened. And I didn't tell anybody until I was about 18 or 19 years old, but it opened up a vacuum of incredible insecurity in me. And then when I was about 10 years old, I was walking home from school uh, by myself and a different group of boys were hanging out in a baseball dugout and they were smoking something or high on something. But I just remember hearing, you know, get her. And they ran out of the dugout, ran me down and knocked me to the ground and beat me pretty bad. Punched me in the face, Postfuls of hair uh, kicked me. <clears throat> and when I got up from that beating, very traumatized, as you can imagine, I was only like four feet tall. And these were these big kids. Anyway, I, I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. So that's when I knew the devil was real. And so mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, that is when fear entered my heart. And I battled my whole life with different measures and levels of fear. I've come a long way. I'm not at all uh, uh the way I used to be. Um, I'll just jump ahead real quick just to give you a quick synopsis so you know where I'm coming from. But um, when I was a young mom on bed rest, pregnancy bed rest for six months. So I had a one and a three-year-old at that time. And my dear hubby had to be the the mom and the dad. Well, I went to bed for six months because of high-risk pregnancy. The doctors let me up for one day. Uh, I was getting kind of depressed and my little ones just so desperately wanted to be with their mom. And I met my old college roommates, uh, for lunch, we were just testing the waters to see if I'd be okay. And I, I contracted that night, so I went back to bed. But two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb and my arms started to go numb. And I still had three months to go. And and again, mm-hmm. that that fear started to, you know, niggle in the back of my mind that the enemy can get to me anytime. Like, I don't enjoy the protections that most people do. I had a friend who was getting so tired of me because in how many friend favors can you use up with six months of bed rest? And uh I like to say she has the gift of discouragement. (laughs) (laughs) That's not where I thought you were going with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She came by. She was irritated, like to know that after three months of bed rest, now your face is going numb. Now your vision blurring. Like what, what next with you? Like she was really Mm -hmm. disgusted with the trial. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, you know, it's personalities like you that most often get MS. And, and I'd had this back of my mind fear about MS because of the neurological nature of the symptoms. So sure. when she left, I, I felt like I was backed in the corner with fear. And I was a young mom. So we were going broke with all the trips. You know, in Canada, I think you have different health care, but we, we have medical bills that were piling up. 
and, and friends who were vanishing because we were, you know, I went from being, you know, all in being the person who's always there to help to being a debt to society. And I mean, I felt like my husband married a lemon. He needed to trade me in for a new one. I mean, I really felt like my life was really at a dead end. And uh, when she said that, I knew a visceral fear that I can't even explain to you that I really thought God lost my address. I really, really did. Just because I was new enough in the faith. I was very passionate. But suddenly the word was dead on the page and friends were going away. And I had scary, scary symptoms that you, I could not control. Neurological diseases are very scary anyway. And um, long story short, a year later, so I delivered my son three months later. And uh, a year later, my health was going up and down and they ruled out brain tumor and MS. And uh, by a miracle, found out uh, my one day up, I got bit by the deer tick and contracted mm. Lyme. And uh, so I went a year undiagnosed. And so to this day, I still uh, have challenges with that. Um, but all of that to say, um, that is my context. So everything I write everything I speak has kind of battle language because there was a point where I was so terrified. We were on the verge of losing our home because of all the medical debt that we had. And I had so much fear and so much trauma fear. I mean, there was that the stuff from my childhood was unresolved, you know? And so, you know, and when I was in high school, as a decent athlete and different things, but I was using that to dig myself out of a hole to kind of prove something that Jesus had already proven. I just, you know, I just didn't know. And I say that often that it's like, if you don't know who you are and how loved you are, you're going to misuse your time, treasure and talents to prove something Jesus has already proven. And I believe, Holly, that many Christians are going through life knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And so I, I will say all day long, God didn't make me sick, but he did allow it because all my striving had to cease and I had to meet him in that place. And there were a couple of really critical um, moments that were so foundational in my faith because I didn't grow up in a mainstream evangelical home. I didn't have the youth group training or Bible training that others had, just what I could find in the word on my own. And so one of them was when, when a bill collector had called and made some threats, uh, you know, about our, our mortgage. And I mean, I was so terrified. My husband was working three jobs. We had three little kids. And at this point, I had this disease that I didn't know where it was going to take us. I didn't know it was wrong. And remember, the Lord just thundered through and said, Susie, are you a believer because only because you secured your eternity? Or mm. do you actually believe this stuff? Like, when are you going to shift your weight onto the promises of God to see if they actually hold? Because you, if you turn your back on faith to behold fear, you'll, you won't behold faith. You, you turn your back on one to behold the other. So when are you going to start to trust me? And uh, um, around that time, uh, I, I think by this time I'd, I found out it was Lyme. I don't know, it kind of blurs together, but... I, you know, all of these things were confronting my insecurities. So, so profoundly because I couldn't perform my way out of it. And um, mm -hmm. a woman from our church, a very godly woman called and said, Susie, I've been hearing the chatter about you. And so, and there were people who were interceding and feeling so sad for us and others who were judging and assessing mm -hmm. it, you know, whatever, because Lyme disease back then, nobody knew anything about it. it made you look like a hypochondriac because symptoms were, they're just coming out of. Yeah, it's true. It's come a long and, way. Thank goodness. Yes. Amen. And, uh, but this gal called, she goes, I've been hearing the chatter, you know, on both sides. And so she said, I wanted to know for myself, Lord, what are you doing with this family? What are you doing with this woman? And she said, you listen to me. She said, I went into my prayer closet and the Lord gave me a vision of a platform he's building with your pain that you're mm -hmm. going to speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can, because you're going to have a story to tell. And it was a truth bomb. I mean, it, it went into my knower. 
And it was like, I, I knew that I knew that that was true. And uh, I actually got worse before I got better. But during that time, I had so much facial numbing. The doctors would say, don't be surprised if you wake up to facial paralysis. So every morning I'd be like, is my face going to drop today? But after that moment, when, when the Lord challenged me, are you a believer or not? And, and she gave me that word. I, and I just knew it was true. I mean, every morning, instead of checking to see if my face was intact, I would look in the mirror and go, you will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord, you know, and I just started to stand on the promises of God. And that was, that was a really, really powerful moment where all of a sudden I thought I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. Uh, but, you know, your, your podcast is the why me moment. If I could share with you that um, still Lyme has the cyclical nature where it's up and it's down and it's around. And when it's neurological, it's, it's really, especially devastating. And, you know, I'm still, again, so new in my faith. I, I really still didn't fully understand that God was building something beautiful, foundational under me. Um, and uh, every night would be, I go to bed and it would feel like trauma because Kev would sleep really well, my hubby, and and the symptoms would go to a new level. So I, I dreaded my my night hours. And uh, mm. I begged God, if not for me, for my children, would you heal me? I, I just, I crawl in, army crawling here. And by the time I delivered my son, you know, I didn't want to bother my friends. So I literally kind of parented them from lying on the floor and just did the best I could. And so every night, if not for me, for my kids, you know, and um, it was, it felt like my prayers bounced off the ceiling, you know, every night. And uh, I just didn't understand what I had done to chase God away. And I, I didn't, I didn't fully understand it. And I remember just going, are you there? Are you, do you care? I mean, my friends have their health and they have their wealth and they're living their best lives. And, and I feel like it's crickets for me. Are, you know, are you there? And the Lord thundered again through just with such clarity. Susie, if I healed you, would you praise me? And I said, I'd praise you till the cows come home. You would be able to shut me up, you know? And he came back with, why is that? Would you praise me because I'm God and I gave my one and only son to die a brutal death for you? Or would you just praise me because you got your way? And I, my life, um, like a real passed through my eyes and I saw that uh, so much of what I'd done, even though it was passion for Jesus, it was born out of insecurity. Uh, so and when you're doing anything out of insecurity, it's selfishness. You know, insecurity is just another form of selfishness. And I was so profoundly insecure for, for legitimate reasons, but still it's, that's a parasite. And I realized how little really of substance of the things I'd offer God were an offering to him. They were to rescue my sense of self-worth, you know, and I, I, Instead of wanting healing, I, I wanted mercy. So. What I love is that you've you've given us a whole lot to unpack now. Because yeah, as so you questions. spoke, <laughs> I, I then get to write down all these questions that you could then play back for me. Like, I want to go all the way back to the beginning, though, where you had said that you, you were assaulted at the age of nine. And you said nothing until you're 18. Why, why not say anything? Well, I uh, was part of a big family and my father was the mayor of that town. And uh, these were my brother's friends. Mm. And I think I feared some repercussion around, you know, I, you know, there were, I was always aware that we were a public family and, uh, and my brothers were going through a season of hanging with creepy guys. And, um, and I, and I was really confused to be honest, because there's times I would hear stories of, of a woman being raped and someone else making a comment about what she was wearing. And so yeah. there was just these things in my head going, I just didn't know, was some of this my fault? And what just, you know, I mean, they came up behind me and before I knew it, I was pinned to the ground, but I was just terrified of, yeah. of 
speaking it out loud and uh, until it was time for God to walk me through some healing. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just thinking of, you know, that time in your life, but somehow you found God. When was that moment where um, he became a pivotal part of your life? Yeah, this is pretty awesome story. So, you know, with seven kids in our family, my mom, you know, she treated each like we were her only child. Like we each had a profound, amazing relationship with her. She's amazing. So I always just loved, you know, the gymnast. So she was at all my meets and, you know, helped me practice at home. And with seven kids, I don't know how she did that. <laughs> so we just had this fun bantering relationship. But I always felt like there was this dark thing that I was keeping from her, but I didn't even know how to articulate what that was. Right. And so one night, I, one day I was walking out the doors like eighth grade to go to a slumber party. And she teasingly said, now, don't sneak out and meet boys, you know. <laughs> And I stopped in my tracks and I, again, had like a visceral reaction. Like I I physically like, oh, and I almost turned around to say, let me tell you why that is the last thing I would ever do ever in my life, you know? And I I almost did, but I thought it's too risky. I have such a great relationship with her. And what if it gets misinterpreted? I just, I I didn't know if I could open the can of worms. So I did. So I just said, "I, I promise you, mom, I won't be doing that. I went to the sleepover and, you know, we did what girls do at sleepovers. We danced and we ate Doritos and all that stuff. And it was probably like 10 p.m. when the girls decided to go out and meet boys. And I, I thought it was going to be sick because I just thought I'm not putting myself in that position. And so I jokingly stayed that I stayed back with the two girls who smoke, but I didn't inhale. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they, they were like they were a little more on the rough edge of the group and they did stay back, I think, maybe for a smoke. But they were not interested in talking to me. So they were off on one side of the basement in their sleeping bags. And I'm by myself on the other side. And they went to the local Catholic school for their education. And so they were mocking what the nun had said about the book of Revelation. They're like, oh, as if. And they were talking about end times, as if that's going to happen. And they were making fun of the nun. And I had never heard anything like, like that before. So I'm mm. like leaning and listening going, wow. And so I went out and sat on the picnic table. And I just looked up into the stars and I said, oh, God, I, I know you're real. But if there's more to you than what I know, will you reveal yourself to me? And I literally said this. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I think it's kind of boring. But if you can snazz it up, we got a deal. (laughs) And I often say I picture God up there rubbing his temples going in on a technicality. (laughs) But uh, I just like, oh, I love him so much that he would, you know, woo me. But I the the particular denomination and uh, church I went to did not look kindly upon you reading the Bible on your own. And Hmm. so when I first brought my Bible to church, I was confronted about it. So, and I'm such a rule follower, although apparently a rebel, because I started to read the Bible under my bedsheet at night and I fell in love with Jesus. I mean, I knew that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And I mean, I just fell in love with him. And then I want to say it was probably ninth grade. I found out about a Bible study in the next community over. And what's so funny to me is, um, you know, I've just found out about it. But again, I was afraid to get in trouble. So I told my mom I was going to the library. (laughs) I lied about it. And I would come home glowing. And she's like, how's the library? I'm like, mom, this whole family needs the library. You know, (laughs) you got to go to the library. It was just like, oh, and this this is back, you know, in the 80s when, you know, the crew cuts and the, you know, clean cut thing was the look. And this guy would fit today. I mean, just the long beard, the white T-shirt, the jeans and the flip flops way out of context. But he did look like Jesus. But he would sit with the Bible in his lap and he would sometimes get into character like John or Peter and and bring the Gospels to life. And I'd sit at his feet and I just fell in love with the word of God. And what's so amazing to me is all these people around me, these other kids were like very goth looking, really rough edged. 
and I was Miss Sporty Girl. And, and, you know, they would say, do you want to go out for a smoke? And I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, and I'm just listening. Well, it was, you know, he, this man became a friend and a pastor at the church. We ended all ended up in as adults and he was preaching one day. I have three kids by this time. And he says, I used to work for an organization for troubled youth. And I'm like, troubled youth. So I went up to him after I'm like, Troubled youth? Is that what you were doing? He goes, I was wondering how long it would take for the light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I I always wondered what you were doing there, but I never wanted to ask you because I didn't want you to go away. But he's like, where did you come from? And uh, But that is where I developed a love for the Lord and for his word. And he was just uh, huge in my spiritual formation, to tell you the truth. So. Yeah, that's funny. It's God took you on a a moment where you're just it's late at night and you're yeah. kind of with some maybe possible troubled youth, and now you're actually yeah. going to a library around yeah. by other troubled youth. I never even thought of that. That's a great connection. That never occurred to me, but that is amazing that he's and really how he's preserved me. I mean, I think of all the moments I could have been in such big trouble, and uh, you know, he's guarded and guided and. It's not been easy there. You know, again, if you read my books, you'll you'll catch on to battle language because, uh, you know, I, I believe that the abundant life that Jesus promised just doesn't arrive on our doorstep. You have to contend for it because we have a thief mm-hmm. who aims to steal, kill and destroy. And uh, one of my prayer friends says, if you don't know what Jesus won for you, you won't know it when it's missing. And we need to know what we possess in him so that we can say, you know, this is where you end, enemy, and where I begin. I'm getting my land back. And there's just so much that I felt like I had to recover um, in the way of identity um, and understanding of of my place in the kingdom. But, you know, those battles were not lost on me just because I feel like I know his word better. I know him better. And I really understand the wiles of the enemy better, too. We go through, and, and just because we have a relationship with Jesus, as, as you have mentioned before, it's not like things are easy, and we're going to go through these different battles. Uh, one of the things that is so surprising, though, is that you would think that the church would be a safe place. You'd think that you would have these relationships from the church. And, and the one thing that still sticks out to me is the lady, the friend, air quote, friend of yours who said that, you know, you and MS was there ever an opportunity to confront her later? Cause we have this, we have this talk with our kids all the time. You have either friends for a reason or friends for a season. And it just seems like you would look for support in that time. And it was like the last thing that she was doing was supporting you. Yeah. You know, it was years later where she admitted she stayed around too long. She said, I served past my point of grace. Hmm. And, uh, and I, I think that's, that's, you know, I think it's so important because, it, you know, I I don't believe personally that every need dictates the call. I think we got to pay attention to the voice of the spirit and the grace that we have. And it, there's it's so often 20 percent of the people doing 80 percent of the work. And so if you're of the 20, you'll respond to every need with the call. But then mm-hmm. if you if you're willing to show some restraint, if God is not giving you his capital, yes, who knows if God won't raise one of the up out of the 80 percent. And um she just felt like she served past her point of grace and then got irritated. And, uh, and, and, it, and I'm, I, I hope that that is a lesson well learned because it does more harm than good when you're the vulnerable one. And, uh, you know, the last thing I wanted to do is be a debt to people. And uh, it, I mean, their fatigue confronted my just own insecurities. So, um, 
Yeah, but you're so right, Johnny. I, I, I think the church has to be a safe place and a place where we get into the ranks with each other and walk it out and, and interrupt me if you need to. But that, that reminds me of something that I feel like is super important. So, so seven years ago, I had a massive relapse. So for 20 years prior to the last seven years, it's been up and down and around. But again, I'm, I'm fitness minded. I fight hard for my health because I have stuff I want to do. And my doctors have said, if you weren't such a fighter, you would be, you'd be in a wheelchair or be mm. incapacitated. You'd be really sick. And so praise God for that, the feistiness to, because I do feel like he's given me things to do. But seven years ago, I experienced a massive, terrifying relapse of <clears throat> the neurological. It was so bad. And uh, apparently people with chronic Lyme sometimes have a mold deficient gene where you can't process mold. And when trauma happens of any kind, like high stress or whatever, and you have an extreme exposure, it, it attacks your nervous system. So it attacked my brain. So my MRI showed seven areas of my brain that were either atrophied or inflamed from mold. And as a live talk radio host, I was, and an author, I suddenly couldn't spell words or couldn't find the right words for my sentences. My tongue was going numb. Cognitive stuff was getting messed up. It was so scary. And I'm working my way back from that. And a year ago, um, I think I wrote about this in Strong and Battle. I, I think I did. But anyway, a year ago, I walked through uh, some of the worst of it. And it was like the middle of the night where my heart started to beat out of rhythm and the numbing would shoot up my neck and in my jaw like a stroke. And then the vision blurring and everything. And it, it was the night traumas and terrors coming back. And my hubby was sleeping. I'd come down here and pace the floor and quote scripture and take deep breaths. Just God. And that's when I said, you got to kill me or heal me because I don't have a mental bandwidth you know, to keep this on. And and the worst night was the Saturday night before Easter a year ago. And the Easter morning, <clears throat> I was supposed to have my sister and her hubby and their boys and my one of my sons and his wife over for brunch. But I've been walking the floor all night. So by the time they walked in the door, I had my head down on the counter of our kitchen and I was sobbing. I was like, I cannot keep doing, I can't keep doing this. Like, where are you, God? You know, and I was so devastated to be walking through at this age another round of this like what you know and um Noah my one of my nephews they all got around me to pray and one, my Noah nephew said uh he said Lord thank you that you intend for Susie to cross over from a ministry of trial to a ministry of triumph and when he said that something had quickened in me because um you know it's probably I don't know if it was like a month earlier but I was saying Lord I'm army crawling here I'm fighting for inches and he just impressed upon my heart but you're gaining miles in the spiritual for every inch in the natural you're gaining miles in the spiritual don't give up don't give up keep fighting and then he just gave me this picture I don't know about you guys but he speaks to me oftentimes in word pictures and I got this picture of me behind enemy lines and I was sort of a navy seal which you know makes me feel like it was from God because <laughs> I'd like to see myself that way but I'm like deking left and right and but I was spiritually agile and then I came to this opening of these trees to this raging river and I just took a leap I didn't even slow down and once I landed I was leaping and bounding so when he said thank you God that you're going to cross her over uh, to a place a ministry of triumph from a ministry of trial it just it, it quickened within me and I really realized I need to keep my heart postured before him you know when when Jesus said to John Blessed are those who are not offended with me he said that to John's people when John was in prison are you the Christ the lame still walk, the blind still see, blessed are those who are not offended by me. So in other words, when you're away from the action and you're not part of the miracles just now, know that the miracles are still happening, but blessed are you who are not offended with me. So it was like my work was to not, because I was offended. I was hurt. I was disappointed. And I thought that's my work right now. When you jump ahead to this Easter, you know, I just was keeping my heart in a tender place. 
And there's different, these women <clears throat> that are connected to women I know, but they are these fiery prayer women, all separate, three separate groups. The Lord spoke to them during their fast for the Lenten season. I'm charging you to walk with Susie and pray with her until she's healed. And they hit me out of nowhere and talk about safe, godly women. They So I'm, I'm on a Zoom call every Wednesday morning with one of the groups. I'm mm. on a Zoom call with the others on Monday mornings. And they're they're not relenting. And the kind of healing and the inner healing, because there's like trauma that goes along with chronic illness that it really does take a toll on the soul. I am going from strength to strength. I'm experiencing one breakthrough after another. And I'm seeing something in the body of Christ with these women that I've never seen before. And I think, you know, we got to quit messing around. I've, I've been on my show, been telling people, form a prayer network. And if these aren't your best friends, if your best friends aren't your fiery prayer warriors, I'm not saying ditch your friends, but find the people who are on fire and put your flame next to theirs and agree with God for the things he's asking you to pray for. So these women, we're not just praying together for my healing. We're praying for our husbands. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for the church. And we are seeing breakthroughs. And and one of them, she's this little fiery woman. They're one of the first prayers I, meetings I had with her. You know, I wanted to pray a blessing on all their families for all that they've done for me. And she goes, Susie, Susie, um, we have people who pray for that for us. This prayer meeting is about you. So you agree with God. We'll agree with you. Go. <laughs> I like, love that. Amen. Oh. Yeah. But I am telling you, I'm, I, I pray. I've been a fiery prayer woman for a long time, but getting together with other people who are, who mean business, we are seeing mountains move into the sea. I'm telling you. And I really believe that is a word for the church right now is mm. that, you know, the pettiness, the jealousy, even the raging over the media that's re- that's a life of reaction when as Christians were to live lives of response, responding to the spirit. And I think as we get together and agree with God, we'll start to see things change. What I find amazing over the last few years is Holly and I have had a chance to talk with a, a ton of incredible speakers and authors is that it seems like the books in, let's say, the last year or so. All without intention had to do with, you know, COVID stuff or things that we were going through. And as we talk about being strong in battle and gaining victory in your hardships and overcoming the obstacles that we face, what bigger obstacles did we not face over the last few years? And then all of a sudden you have this book that talks about all of these things that we've kind of dealt with. Yeah. You did it on purpose, didn't you? No, no. (laughs) I wish I could say I'm that smart. No. Uh, but really, Bruce, I mean, I had the thought for this book years ago and my editor kept saying, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then I was ready. And yeah. I, I literally wrote this thing in a neurological hailstorm, but I had absolute clarity about what it is the Lord wanted me to say. But the subtitle, Why the Humble Will Prevail, to me, says it all, that as we humble ourselves under the hand of the most high God, he will rise up as our defender and our deliverer. And the, the condition of our heart matters so greatly. And so, you know, the shaking that's happening all over the world is not coming to, as a surprise to God. And it's so that we can see what is not being shaken. What's not shaking right now? God's love, his promises, his commitment to his people, his His promise that when we are gathered together, he's there in our midst. I mean, we have clarity about what's true. And as we stand in that truth and we come together, we will be the last one standing, you know, victory belongs to us. Mm-hmm. You've been through so much in your life. Is there ever or has there ever been a point where you're like, God, how, why? I think I could use a break. Let's just, uh, it's good enough. This is good enough. Oh, yesterday. Just yesterday. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I I told my friends, and my, my, my hubby knows this, but my MO, it seems like when I get blindsided, symptoms are kind of the thing for me, neurological, because it, it affects me so much, you know, with my 
ability to articulate, it, it's almost like it triggers instant despair. And so my my way, it seems I get blindsided, I break down and cry, and then I come up swinging. That just seems to me. I love me. it. <laughs> it's just been a long time. So I, it's not pretty. I'm not mm-hmm. always up. I mean, I. but the thing I know is not to be down alone. You know, don't isolate. You call your people and you stand together and you pray. But Johnny, I just, I love what you were saying about the church has got to be a safe place because none of us can do this alone. We need each other. But the thing is when we're together, so much happens, you know, and um, yeah, I'm so grateful. When it comes to the church being at that safe place, I know the church is in a season right now where a lot of people are deconstructing their faith. There's a lot of um, scandals or, you know, those kinds of stories emerging, uh, the hurt, purity culture, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we wrap things up, what do you feel is our church church's next step in our healing, but also being that safe place for others? You know, um, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know uh, my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I I think, you know, as we... Stop pointing the finger and just saying, God, what in me? Because we all have blind spots. And and I just think we, all you have to do is look, scroll social media and Christians, plenty of Christians are still in reaction mode and we need to be in response mode because, you know, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, it's against principalities, mm-hmm. but you have no authority unless you're under authority. And as we submit to God, then we can resist the devil and he will flee. He has to listen to us if we're under authority. And and as we get ready to wrap, I'll just touch on James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Submit to God is a military term, and it means get back and rank. And so Watchman Nee was the one who said, if you don't if you're not under authority, you have no authority. So as you submit to God and then you resist the devil, it says he will flee. And it means two things that he runs for his life and he looks for a safe place to dwell, which means he no longer finds a safe place in you. But how many pockets of Christians are the enemy? Is he finding a safe place because they're in agreement with him more than they are with heaven? And so as we start to search our heart to say, show me what I can't see. Humble me, purify me, because I want to see God and I want my prayers to move mountains and then find other people who are like minded, who are serious about their faith. And you start to pray his kingdom come. And I really believe you'll see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. She's an incredible speaker, host of uh, Susie Larson Live, author Strong in Battle, which is available now. You can go to uh, SusieLarson.com at Susie Larson, author on the Insta. This was everything and more than I thought it was going to be. And we appreciate you taking so much time and uh, hanging out with us. You guys are absolutely delightful. I hope you'll have me back again. I normally don't invite myself, but I think I will. (laughs) (laughs) Open invite anytime. 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 This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Lord bless you. You know, I think that we need to find more people to talk about church stuff. I I feel like Mm. over the last little while, it's come up as to we need to be a a place to come together as church and we need to look after one another through church and community. Mm -hmm. And I think whether it was meant to be or not, Susie's saying those things. I'm like, yeah, this is a conversation that needs to be a bit deeper. Oh, absolutely. Was it about a month ago or so? The uh, church in Calgary burnt down and Mm. they met in a park across the street and they had said, the church is not the building, it's the people. And it was such a visual expression of what the church really is. And not that I'm saying we need to meet outside of churches now, but right. it's it's wonderful to have that 
make bigger news. You know, the church isn't the building, it's the people. Let's do better at working together. We need to be stronger in battle. And, and, and I think Susie just, you know, said it perfectly. And, and through the struggles that she's gone through, it's amazing to see that there, there always is, you know, the, the hills and valley moments where we're at our lowest of our low, but then we can see God in those moments and bringing us up those mountaintops too. But by God, I mean, I would have tapped out if I were her, Mm -hmm. you know, at the age of 18. So I'm so grateful that she didn't quit. She kept on going because her words and encouragement are are such a a source of encouragement. Thank you to everyone who uh, continually reaches out to us on all the socials. Rate and review on things like Spotify and and, pod, and Apple Podcasts. Give five stars or five, like a 10 out of 10, whatever it is. I'm not saying that you have to. I'm just saying you have to because those things apparently hit our amalgamations or conglomerations or whatever. It makes us sound be better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Algorithms? Yeah, that's the word. Boost Algorithms. us. Boost us. Oh, also, check us out at faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah. Huh?